You're listening to the Bellevue Baptist Gadsden Podcast. Today's message from Pastor Colt Hudson is part of our current sermon series through the Gospel of John. We pray that this message will be a blessing to you. Thanks for listening. Amen. Go ahead and be turning in your Bibles to John 14, verses 15 through 20. Again, that is John 14, verses 15 through 20. This morning we're going to be looking at a sermon that is titled, You Are Not Alone. As you're turning this morning, I want to share a story with you that I read recently. The story is that of the playwright Arthur Miller. As Arthur Miller was uh, reflecting on his life, he once wrote that his one-time wife, Marilyn Monroe, knew what it was like to be an orphan, to be abandoned. And her experience with that uh, being an orphan, with that abandonment, it gave her this uncanny ability. According to Miller, whenever Marilyn would enter a room, didn't matter if there were four people or 4,000, she was always able to pick out from the crowd those who had also been orphans. See, there was just a certain look in the eyes of orphans that a fellow orphan could always detect at a glance. So there was a glint of loneliness or fear or weariness. But whatever it was, fellow orphans were able to look at one another and share a common bond of knowing and understanding. Today's passage, Jesus promises us that he will not leave us as orphans. He tells us, you are not alone. This is a powerful thing for us to think about this morning, recognizing that no matter what we face in this life, we are not alone. We are not left as orphans. So let's look at this passage and and see what this means for us as we live the Christian life. In John 14, verses 15 through 20, I'll be reading from the ESV, but you follow along in your translation. Verse 15 says, If you love me, you will keep my commandments. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. Even the Spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Yet a little while and the world will see me no more, but you will see me. Because I live, you also will live. In that day you will know that I am in my Father and you in me and I in you. Let's go to the Lord in a word of prayer. Father, we come before you once more this morning, Lord, thanking you for the opportunities that we've had to praise your name this morning. Lord, thanking you for the truth of your grace and your goodness to us. Lord, we ask now as we come to the time of studying your word and looking into it together, that, Father, you would just make your will abundantly clear to us. Lord, you would help us to see the truth of your word. Father, you would open our eyes and you would open our ears and our hearts and our minds that we may see, hear, understand and love your word. Father, we pray this morning that this would be an encouragement to us as we seek to walk through this life in a way that would be pleasing to you. Lord, we pray that it would be convicting to us where we have strayed from the path of righteousness. Lord, as always, we pray that now during this time your will would be done, you would call us to yourself, and you would point us to the truth of your word. Father, we ask this in Christ's name. Amen. 
Well, last week we looked at three powerful promises from Jesus. And uh, in that text that we examined last week, verses 7 through 14, we, we saw the promise of his person, right? Which was a reminder is that if we see and know Jesus, we have seen and known the Father, right? The second promise was the promise of power. Jesus specifically had promised that we would do greater works, specifically taking the gospel to the ends of the earth. Then finally, last week, we saw the promise of prayer, that if we pray in his name, we can trust that he will do it. And we unpacked what that means, not as a a wish or a a magic formula, but rather as a trusting in his plan and his goodness and his grace. But that promise of power we discussed last week, we saw that that power that was promised us, it doesn't come from within us, right? The the power of the Christian life does not come from summoning up all our strength and, and digging down deep and just having enough sheer willpower, but rather it comes from the Holy Spirit. And today we see Jesus elaborate on the Holy Spirit and what that means for us. Jesus begins here by telling us clearly, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. If you love me, you'll keep my commandments. Now, this passage, this, this, I mean, this uh, verse here, not really anything new or extraordinarily uh, surprising to us. We recognize that this is a, a basic truth of following the Lord Jesus, that if we love him, we will do what he tells us to do. We'll follow his commandments. This is a critical component of the Great Commission. Not only are we to go and tell, but we're to teach people to observe all that he commanded. Following the commandments of Jesus is a fundamental aspect of Christianity. But as we read this, again, clearly, we read this and he says, If you love me, you will keep my commandments. Again, we acknowledge that. Very common, very popular But how many of us read that and go, oh yeah, I am killing it. Keeping Jesus' commands is so easy for me. I've just got this thing right where I want it. I walk through this life and and, and I do what he's telling me to do and I don't have any problems keeping his commands. See, none of us, if we're honest, read that and think that keeping the commands of Christ is easy. They're a joy. They are right. They are good. We love to do right. But make no mistake, living the Christian life is hard. It's hard. It is not for the weak. It requires sacrifice, suffering, dying to self. It requires humility and taking a stand in the face of a sinful world that hates our guts because we are trying to do what God has commanded us to do. Sometimes it seems so overwhelming that we come to this and we say, how in the world can I do this? We say things like, Lord, the the temptation is so strong to do the wrong thing. Lord, how am I going to do what's right here because it's going to cost me so much? Lord, how can I take this situation that seems so dark and so bleak and do what you've told me to do? You see, when we we look at this, we recognize that no matter who we are, no matter how strong we are, the answer is that on our own, we can't do this. We can. The strongest among us, the, the, the one with the most willpower, we cannot keep the commands of the Lord perfectly. That's the whole point of the Old Testament. It reveals to us that we are in desperate need of a Savior because we cannot keep those commands perfectly. 
But yet here Jesus says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. The good thing is that for the believer, we are not alone. Jesus did not just say, bye guys, I'm peacing out and you guys figure this out on your own. He didn't tell us, y'all made this mess so you clean it up. No, Jesus promises to send us a helper. We are not left as orphans. The original word that John wrote in the Greek here is paraclete, right? That's the word for helper. The meaning literally is one who comes alongside another. The translation is comforter, advocate, helper. Right? This is who Christ promises to give us forever. Says, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. See, this helper here is the Holy Spirit. This is identified in next week's passage. We'll look at this briefly. But in, in verse 26 of chapter 14, we see this. It says, But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. So there we, we see it clearly identified. The Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. So the Helper is the Holy Spirit. This verse not only tells us that the Helper is the Holy Spirit, but it also teaches us something about the Holy Spirit. Now, I know that verse 26 is not the focus of today's sermon, and we'll cover it next week. But in that verse, the Holy Spirit is referred to as a He that takes an action. He will teach you all things, and He will bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. So we see here that the Holy Spirit is not an impersonal force, but rather he is a very active person of the Trinity. You see, there are many cults around the world who believe this. Or this is the belief of Jehovah's Witnesses, for example, that the Holy Spirit is just this impersonal force. We don't believe that. Our helper is not an impersonal force. Our helper is personal and active, and he is a member. He's a person of the Trinity. And we'll talk about this today, but so often as we think about the Holy Spirit being a person of the Trinity, so often the Holy Spirit is the red-headed stepchild of the Trinity in Baptist life. We often forget that the Holy Spirit is dwelling within us for the purpose of helping us live the Christian life and fulfill God's perfect will. The Spirit awakens us to new life as we confessed earlier today. So this is the Helper. But what I want to do today is to show you some of the form and function of our helper. This passage is by no means exhaustive, right? This doesn't teach us everything there is to know on the Holy Spirit. Uh, in fact, later on, when we get into John 15 and 16 in the summer, uh, we're going to look at a three-part sermon series within the series that's on the role of the Holy Spirit. But for today, let's look at who this helper is and what he does according to this text. Because as we walk through this life, it is hard, and we are going to need the help of our helper. So let's see what the Word has for us. I have five points for you today. Don't be afraid. Um, I have, but I have five points for you about who the helper is and what he does. First of all, we see that he is, number one, the spirit of truth. Verse 16, Jesus says, And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. Verse 17, even 
the spirit of truth. The spirit of truth. This is a direct contrast with the spirit of the age, right? The spirit of the age, the the cultural ideas of today, the zeitgeist, if you like academic terms, these are all counter-truth. It's all about us determining truth. There is no one thing that's true. There's tons of things that are different truths. And we attack this idea a lot in, in conservative Christianity, and rightly so, because only God gets to determine truth. It doesn't matter what I think about things. It matters what God has decreed to be true and good and right. That's what matters. And so we recognize that God is a God of truth. So it's only natural that the Holy Spirit, as one person of the Trinity, is the spirit of truth. But what does that mean? Well, it means that the Holy Spirit leads us into truth and constantly points us back to biblical truth. It's constantly bringing us back, pointing us to truth, to substance, to that which is real and good and true and pure. The Holy Spirit will never tell you to contradict God's word. Right? I've used examples before up here countless times of people who said the Spirit told them to leave their wife or the Spirit told them to steal boots. Right? We talked about that last week. A Spirit may have told them that, but it was not the Holy Spirit. And so what we need to realize is that any Spirit that advises or guides you to do something or believe something that is contrary to what God has said is a spirit of lies and deception and thus is evil. Paul said, curse even an angel who comes to you and preaches a different gospel. It doesn't matter how good it looks or how much that spirit makes it sound good. If it is contrary to God's word, it is not the Holy Spirit. Because he is a spirit of truth. At the same time, sometimes it isn't a spirit telling you to do things at all. Sometimes it's just your sinful brain and your sinful desires saying this would be good and feel fun. And in both of those situations, we cannot listen to the spirit of the age, which says, I get to make this up. We can't listen to our sinful desires, which says, hey, I'm just going to do whatever I want. We have to listen to and be guided by the spirit of truth. You see, the Holy Spirit will constantly remind you of Scripture and remind you of truth. He will lead us to live a life that is consistent with God's word. And here's what's so good about that. You see, the Spirit is helping us to love God and obey His commands. What better help to have with us when we're seeking to follow God's truth than the Spirit of truth who reminds us of truth and points us to it and teaches us how to live it out? You see, if we're trying to follow the commands of God and we're walking through this life and we're seeking to obey what Jesus has told us to do, Man, there is no greater help than the spirit of truth constantly pointing us back to what that is. This world is full of shiny things that want to distract you and, and lead you astray. I mean, heresies are, they sell well because they are attractive, right? The reason people buy into all of this garbage teaching is because it's attractive, it sounds good, it's distracting. When we're confronted with those things, we need to remember and we need to listen and hear the spirit of truth which guides us. To God's word. 
So as we walk through the world, the Spirit calls us back to Scripture and calls us back to Christ. He consistently points us to God's truth and then He empowers us to do it. He tells us, do this because it's biblical. Don't do that because it's sin. He guides us in the truth. I realized uh, just recently, from, and this is not based on any sort of evidence, this is just my own experience, so maybe you can fight back with me on this. I believe I am from the last generation to use an atlas. Um, again, I got no study that says this is when they, I think you can still buy them, but I'm from the last generation that exclusively used an atlas. For any of you more elder saints come at me, I promise you I navigated multiple cross-country trips with nothing but me, Rand McNally, and a whole bunch of prayer. So I am naturally very thankful for the modern convenience of GPS. It lives right here in my phone. But I have one gripe with it, and that gripe is the voice. Seriously, I mean, as, as we think about these things, the, the, the voices of our GPSs like, they just inevitably make us want to pull our hair out, right? I've never been on a road trip where I didn't want to pull off the road for a snack and something to drink at some point, right? And so what happens? I'm, I'm using the GPS, and I'm on the exit ramp, and what does it say? Recalculating, recalculating, redirecting, redirecting, turn here, do this, do that. And then I, I go to turn off the off-ramp to go toward that gas station or that Whataburger or whatever it is I'm stopping at. And as I pull over there, it starts doing it again. Recalculating, recalculating, redirecting. And I'm like, I know where I am and I know what I'm doing. <laughs> and so what do we do? I mute the voice or I just turn it off. Go away, right? Which is great until you make a wrong turn and realize that you never turned the voice back on and you've been driving for 20 minutes and missed all your turns. Now, it's super annoying when I pull off at a gas station, but then when I get lost and need to find my way, it can't recalculate fast enough, right? We're in six lanes of traffic, and we got exits on both sides of the road, and I need to know where I'm going and what I'm doing. I'm, I'm yelling at that thing to recalculate faster. You see, the Holy Spirit is a lot like the GPS. He's constantly redirecting and recalculating believers back to the narrow way, the path of righteousness. And sometimes we think, oh, I know this one, I'm okay, I'm just pulling off for a minute. And we get cocky and we tune that voice out because we're tired of hearing the voice only to make a wrong turn and get terribly lost. See, the Spirit is the Spirit of truth. He will guide you in truth. So listen, don't get cocky or arrogant and think you can do it alone. So many of you think, oh, you know, I've been doing this for a while, I got it. I mean, I got the basic idea, and so I'm just going to... Tune that voice out a little bit. We recognize as believers we can't really turn off the Holy Spirit. But we can tune Him out. Friends, don't do it. Trust the Holy Spirit as He guides you to listen to God's Word. It is a narrow way, a narrow path. And if we're going to walk it with faithfulness, we need to listen to the Spirit as He is constantly directing us back to the way that God would have us to go. Secondly, this morning, I want you to see that He is the one whom the world cannot receive because they do not know or see Him. We see this here as the next part of verse 17, whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees Him nor knows Him. 
Back in John 3, verse 3, in this conversation with Nicodemus, Jesus says, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Can't see it. We cannot even see the kingdom of God unless we are born again, according to Jesus in John 3. And we cannot know God apart from his revealing himself to us. And so what we see here is that the world does not know the spirit of truth. As the Bible tells us, they are the ones to whom the truth is veiled and are perishing. And the sad thing here is that since the world cannot receive him, they are alone. They're alone. Listen, the the clear truth of the matter is that those who are not saved by the grace of God are all alone and they walk through this life without the helper or the comforter. See, throughout Scripture... What we see is that there are a lot of people who want the power of the Spirit and they want the comfort of the Spirit, but they don't want the Christian life that they're called to. They don't want to submit to the Lordship of Christ. What we see is that you can't have one without the other, and this is why the world will never receive him. They don't see him or know him. Apart from God's grace, they won't do it because apart from God's grace, they won't submit to his Lordship. Simon the sorcerer is a prime example of this in Acts chapter 8. In Acts 8, verses 18 through 23, I'm going to read this to you, but listen carefully to this story. Now when Simon saw that the Spirit was given through the laying on of the apostles' hands, he offered them money, saying, Give me this power also, so that anyone on whom I lay my hands may receive the Holy Spirit. But Peter said to him, May your silver perish with you, because you thought you could obtain the gift of God with money. You have neither part nor lot in this matter, for your heart is not right before God. Repent, therefore, of this wickedness of yours, and pray to the Lord that, if possible, the intent of your heart may be forgiven you. For I see that you are in the gall of bitterness and in the bond of iniquity. See, Simon was a sorcerer. He made a lot of money off of tricks and, and uh, divining things for people. He, he made money as a sorcerer. And so when the apostles roll into town with the Holy Spirit, he wants to buy it. You see, the common practice of people in that day, specifically magicians, was to buy power from one another. Right? Teach me this power. So then they can go and use it to make money themselves. And Simon comes to the apostles and he says, let me buy this power. See, he wanted the Holy Spirit but he had a complete wrong heart about it. He wanted the, the power and the comfort and the, the amazingness of the Holy Spirit, the help, the comfort. But he didn't want the lordship of Christ and the life that that was called to. And so Peter condemns this attitude in very strong terms. Basically, Peter says, that is super sinful. You are bound in iniquity. And you need to pray that, if possible, the intent of your heart would be forgiven. But the point remains, apart from the saving grace of our Lord, we cannot receive the Spirit. You can't buy Him. Simon here is teaching, and this is why I made the point at the beginning about the Holy Spirit being a person and not an impersonal force. Simon here is trying to buy the Holy Spirit like he's a tool. And this is what so many of the charismatic denominations miss. They see the Spirit as a tool to be used rather than a helper who dwells with us and walks with us. 
We cannot buy the Spirit. We cannot use the Spirit for physical gain as Simon wanted to. We can only receive the Spirit by grace. And so if if you're here this morning and you're saying, I'm alone, right? This stuff these Christians talk about, the, the help, the comfort, the joy amidst the trials, the hope, even when everything seems hopeless, I want that stuff. And if you want it, listen, it only comes by the grace of God through faith in Christ. And so the only way you're going to get it is not by buying it. It's not by finding it somewhere else. It is only through faith in Christ and the repentance of your sins. It's by His grace. Thirdly, this morning, I want you to see that He dwells with us forever. Verse 16, we see, if we're going back here, we're backtracking to move forward, I promise. He says, And I will ask the Father, and He will give you another helper to be with you forever. Then here at the end of verse 17, it says, You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. The Bible tells us in verse 16, again, he's with us forever. Verse 17, he dwells with us and will be in us. This is powerful stuff. I think one of the reasons that, as I said earlier, we we so often neglect and misunderstand the Holy Spirit is that we have taken this wrong understanding of what indwells us, and we've missed the truth of it. See, this is an important theological distinction here. The thing that many of us miss is that Jesus is not the one living in our heart. It is the Holy Spirit that indwells each believer. He is with us forever. Christ is at the right hand of the Father making intercession for us. We understand this from what Scripture tells us. Right now, Christ is at the right hand of the Father and He is making intercession for us. He's seated there until the Father sends Him back in judgment. The Holy Spirit lives within all believers and sanctifies us and points us to the truth and He empowers us and gifts us to serve the church. See, the promise of Jesus is that I will not leave you as orphans. You will not be left alone and you won't be left to fend for yourself. So He's given the Spirit to us forever. And when we appreciate that the Holy Spirit lives within us, that it changes our perspective. It gives us a comfort we can't imagine. This is something we need to be sure we get. The Spirit is with us forever. He does not leave us. He doesn't take a ten-minute break from us. There's not a point where the Spirit's like, you know what, I just I need a minute. <laughs> He's with us forever. You know, I think about this a lot. We, we tell our kids, we tell our, our friends and our family, we'll always be there for you, right? We say that a lot as just people, humans. Always be there for you. But we physically can't be there every second of every day. We can't be there every minute. And some of us can't be there every month. And so if our... Our, our help, our comfort, our encouragement in all of these things, if our, our strength in the Christian life is only built on other people, I mean, inevitably, we are left alone. But what we see here is that the Holy Spirit is with us forever, always, to the end of the age, forever. There's never a moment, no matter how dark or how happy, for believers that the Spirit is not with us. In those dark moments... We'll appreciate it. God has not left me alone. And in those happy moments, 
will appreciate it. Recognizing that even the, the best moments of this life are only possible by God's grace. We need scriptural truth in both types of moments. We need scriptural truth when we're down in the dumps and we think that everything is awful and horrible and, and God can't possibly use me in this situation. He can't possibly use this situation. We need the helper to remind us and point us back to truth and say, you know what? Yes, he can. He's sovereign over all things and he can use anything and does use everything for his glory and our ultimate good. In the happy moments, we need to remember that we did not get there on our own. You see, in the valleys and on the mountains, the God that created everything has chosen to dwell in you through the Holy Spirit and guide you and help you to live for Him. And that is something that we must not take for granted. We have this treasure in jars of clay, but the Lord uses us and dwells with us anyway. He's with us forever. Fourthly today, I want you to see that He gives us spiritual life. And so we looked at this this morning. He's the spirit of truth. He's one whom the world cannot receive, can't be bought or sold, not a tool. We've seen that here he dwells with us forever, but now he gives us spiritual life. Jesus here in verse 18 tells the disciples, I will come to you. Right? I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. He goes on to say in verse 19 that the world will see me no more, but you will see me. Now, Jesus' statement here has sort of a triple meaning, right? He would, of course, see them after his resurrection, right? After he is resurrected, he would see the disciples, and uh, then he would ascend. And so he would come to them in Galilee in that sense. Also, right, he's coming back in judgment at the end of time. So we recognize he's coming in that sense. And then thirdly, through the Holy Spirit, we see Jesus because the Spirit points to Christ and the Spirit is one person of the Trinity, so we still have God with us. That even in this moment, the Lord is with us. He has come to us and he has made his home within us. Jesus says, though, because I live, you also will live. Man, what a statement that is. Because I live, you also will live. Because of the work of Christ on the cross, salvation and new life is possible. Because he lives, we live. But as we read earlier in our confession of faith, we know that to be saved, we must be regenerated by the Holy Spirit. This is where we're given new life. Our heart of stone becomes a heart of flesh. We are born again in the language of John 3, and we believe in Christ. Because Jesus lives, because he defeated sin, death, and the grave, we can have new life through his work on the cross. The one who creates that new life in us and helps us to walk in the newness of life is the helper, the Holy Spirit. And so we see that he is a life giver. In the plan of salvation, we see that the Trinity plays a role, right? Every person of the Trinity plays a role in salvation. God the Father planned and chose to save. He sent Christ. Christ the Son paid the price for our sins on the cross that we could have his righteousness and be saved. And the Spirit awakens us and opens our eyes to the truth of the gospel. He creates new life in us and helps us to walk in that newness of life. We could say so much on this topic. I mean, we, we could spend an entire sermon series on the topic of regeneration and, and not cover the whole thing. But we say, thank you, Lord, for changing me and making me a new person. 
The Spirit does that. He gives us spiritual life. And here's the thing. If it were not for regeneration by the Holy Spirit, we would not believe the gospel and we would not be new creations. And thus, living the Christian life would be impossible. But we are not alone. We have a helper that opens the eyes of the blind, that transforms hearts of stone to hearts of flesh. We have a helper that makes us a new creation. And thank God for it. I am not the old man. Old man has died. By the power of the Holy Spirit, we are made new creations. And so we see that he is a spiritual life giver. Fifthly and finally this morning, in verse 20, we see that uh, he's united in the Trinity. United in the Trinity. Verse 20, Jesus tells us that in that day, when the Spirit comes upon them, they would know the unity of the Trinity. They would see that Christ is in the Father. He is in us and we are in Him. The Spirit indwelling us reveals this to us. After the Spirit was poured out on Pentecost, the disciples would powerfully preach this truth. They had experienced it through the Holy Spirit. Now they were united with the Trinity. Listen to this. Acts 2, 32-39, This Jesus God raised up, and of that we are all witnesses. Being therefore exalted at the right hand of God, and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, He has poured out this that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. For David did not ascend into the heavens, but he himself says, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. So what's happening here is that Peter is preaching, and in his sermon he makes it clear that Christ is with the Father, Christ was truly God, And that the promise of Christ was that believers would be filled with the Holy Spirit. And so because the Holy Spirit is a person of the Trinity and dwells within us, pointing to the truth and testifying to the truth, He will naturally point us to the unity of the Godhead, that Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are one. This is one of those topics within theology that is very deep, right? The concept of the Trinity is hard for us at times to wrap our mind around. That we again believe in one God in three persons. But this is important. Jesus did not become the Holy Spirit. Right? There are ancient heresies that says God became Jesus and then Jesus became the Holy Spirit. And that's garbage. The apostles here teach that that heresy is false. All three persons of the Trinity, they coexist eternally. All three have always existed and will always exist. But this becomes even more powerful in light of John 17, where Jesus will pray that we as believers be united and be one, just as he and the Father and the Spirit are united and one. You see, we will not be united unless we have tasted the glory of the gospel. We cannot be one unless we are in agreement on the gospel. The Holy Spirit testifies to the truth of the gospel and the truth of the triune God, helping us to understand this blessed truth and helping us to walk in unity together as believers. 
Listen here, the Holy Spirit, he says, based on the Holy Spirit's coming upon us, we will know the Trinity is true. Because he is united, the Trinity. And so what we see here in, in these five things is that we have seen who the helper is and some things that he does. What a blessing as believers that we have this helper, the Holy Spirit, to lead, guide, and empower us to fulfill Christ's command and to walk in the Father's will. We should rejoice at this great grace of God. In the beginning of the sermon, I told you about how Marilyn Monroe as an orphan was able to recognize other orphans. Let me tell you this. As a pastor this morning, I look out on our congregation and I know that some of you are trying to walk this road alone. Some of you are orphans because you've never followed Christ. If as you believe in Christ, repent of your sins, follow him, throw yourself on his mercy, and you will find a friend that sticks closer than a brother. You will find a helper and a comforter. You cannot save yourself. You cannot do it alone, so don't. But if you're a believer, we are to be full of the Spirit, not grieving the Holy Spirit. But again, as we look at our membership today, some of you are legitimate believers in Christ, but you have been stubbornly trying to keep going on your own. Don't do it. Trust in the Lord and let him guide and direct your life. As we read last week, when the Spirit comes upon us, we receive power to be his witnesses. He will guide us in the truth and keep us in God's will. So do not forsake the helper today. Rather, live your life in the Spirit. For he will equip us to walk faithfully in the path of righteousness. You see, if we want to be people full of the Spirit and a church full of the Spirit, then we must not walk alone, but we must walk in His strength. And trust in Him as we walk through this life. Let's go to the Lord in a word of prayer. Dear God in heaven, we come before you once more this morning, and Lord, we thank you for not leaving us as orphans. Lord, we thank you that we are not alone, but rather we have this great hope, Lord, this helper, this comforter, Father, we thank you that you have saved us and blessed us. Lord, we pray now that you would guide us in truth. You would show us how we can best fulfill your commandments. And Lord, we pray that if there's a lost person here today, if there's someone who is, is currently alone, Lord, you'd call them to yourself and, and they would come and experience this wonderful grace that comes from knowing you. Father, we pray your blessings on our service, your will be done. In Christ's name, amen. Thank you for listening to the Bellevue Baptist Gadsden Podcast. We would love for you to join us on campus for worship Sunday mornings at 1045. We look forward to seeing you. Have a great week.